0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no fluff actionable marketing podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how Rand Fishkind uncovered a need for a product that didn't exist how he validated the need for it, and how he built momentum for it. So my guest today, previously founded Moz, the SEO software, he's now the co-founder of SparkToro, which is an audience intelligence tool. Also the author of Lost and Founder, which is a really, really interesting book on startup and uh, entrepreneurship. So Rand, good to have you back on the show. Bonjour. Louis, great to be here. So there is, like, there is really two ways we could have started a podcast. There was one way where we could have gotten into how to use SparkToro and why it's so nice and, you know, like case studies and whatnot, right? There's this way where we promote, you know, the fuck out of the, the tool, which, which would be nice <laughs> for you. But I, yeah. I don't think for a podcast it would be that interesting because you can't really see the tool and whatever. So I thought about, okay, let's, let's be very selfish here. Let's think of another way that would actually be interesting to me and to the, uh, to the, to the listeners, which would be more around the behind the scenes. But not so much about Rand Fishkin with a huge, huge following and huge clout and influence, but more about the Rand Fishkin who actually had to find an idea, how to develop it, how to find something that people found actually interesting, which I think is the thing that, with your experience, you're able to do, but you didn't really use your audience or your influence for that. You use your intelligence, uh, should I say, uh, for this particular part. So let's dive into that right now. I have used ParkToro uh, in the past and very nice way to understand what people to reach out to based on, you know, your, your goals and to understand like what podcasts you can reach out to based on your interests or the interests of your audience and whatnot. And when I saw the tool for the first time, I was like, shit, that nev- that didn't exist before. Like, I'm, <laughs> like that's weird. It's such that's a useful it. tool. Yes. You know, like what? Anyway, so tell us and, and please tell me, how do you come up? With this idea in the first place, what was the very, very first time you potentially starting to think of? Hmm, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, so I had the same frustration, the same problem that Spark Toro solves, and that that was the inspiration for it. So, you know, I back when I was at Moz, right? Obviously, Moz is SEO software. I'd help a lot of people with SEO, but I also would help a lot of. You know, startups and early stage companies, and just companies of all kinds, as I'm sure you do, with just marketing. How do I get my message in front of the right people? And if, you know, if it wasn't in the SEO toolbox, it was really hard for me to help them. Right. So if you if you had a product or a service, and there weren't people searching for exactly what you did, trying to help them was very, very difficult, and so I, I was actually on the board of a company. This is where the the SparkToro idea, kind of, you know, the catalyst for it, came from. I was on the board of a company called Haiku Deck here in Seattle, and the, their their constant challenge was just finding any marketing channel that would work. If they ever found one, right? If they found a way to get in front of the professional coaches and sort of real estate professionals and life coaches and some religious users, teachers that that use their product, it was sort of a simple version of PowerPoint. They did great, but the problem was finding those whatever it was, sources of influence, right? A conference, an event, a podcast, a website, social account that would actually reach their audience. And so I remember talking to Adam, the CEO, and saying, "Gosh, yeah, I feel like what we really want to do is cyberstock at scale, right? Just steal, steal a bunch of your customers' phones, log into all their phones and look at all their accounts and see what do they follow? What do they share? What are they link to? What are they reading? What are they subscribe to? And that's, that's where the idea for SparkToro came because you know, I realized with Casey, oh, wait a minute, a lot of this data is public on the web and you can crawl it. It's a pain in the ass, but you can get it. Yeah. Um, and that's where the idea came from.
0: And what's interesting here is that you, you've avoided so far anyway to, to, to say the I word, the influencer word. You haven't mentioned it once. You said like, <laughs> you know, so why is that? And then I, we'll come back to, to sure. the, the story because there is more into that.
1: I yeah. so I, it, it's not that you know classic influencer marketing or now what's called influencer marketing isn't effective. It is a marketing channel for some you know primarily consumer product companies. But it's not something I'm passionate about or particularly interested in, right? When I think of sources of influence, I think of all the sources of influence, right? A podcast, a YouTube channel, a website, a publication, an event a social account that is not on Instagram. And influencer marketing means like, pay half-naked people, $500 to pose with your product on mostly Instagram and a little bit now, a little bit Twitch and and YouTube. And that's not uh, not something that we really wanted to help with. So actually, SparkToro is very anti-Instagram leaning in its initial version, intentionally so, uh, because we did not want to be associated with influencer marketing tools and because, very frankly, if that's what you want, we cannot help you.
0: That's funny because we, we never really talked about it together. But from the positioning of the tool and from the way you just explained it in the last few minutes, I, cu- I could sense that that was the point of view you had. If I may, as a, as a, as a small like, suggestion maybe, is to actually go for that as a, as a stronger even positioning and copy. That might alienate some people, mm-hmm. but that might also make some people say, shit, this is exactly what I think as well. <laughs> because that's what I think. So just a small suggestion, you know, that's for free. That's just just, just have a, video. we are not this big red circle with yeah. an X through it. We are not like half naked, but you're, yeah. it's not about finding half naked women. It's about finding. Sources. And Reference. men, men
1: are also doing quite well with the half nakedness on Instagram these days. <laughs> not me. I am not doing well with
0: that. <laughs> mm, let's see. All right. So going back to the story. So you had this, you were part of the board of this startup, and they had this problem, right? And it kept coming up and coming up. Yeah. Surely that wasn't good enough validation for you to start thinking, I'm going to leave Moz and start this startup. And by the way, was that the, the thinking? Was it, I'm going to try to find a product so I can launch something else before yeah. I decide to leave Moz? Or was it more, I'm going to leave Moz and then I'm going to find something else?
1: I mean, I sort of knew that my... It's a it's a hard thing to describe, right? I sort of I, I described it in a blog post as zero is security escorts you out of the building, and 10 is, you know, hugs and handshakes and everybody's great friends. And I was a four in my departure. So a little bit difficult to describe, but I I knew that I would be leaving Moz partially of my own accord, partially not, and I wanted to have something to do right away. Like, Louis, I knew, for example, that the day I left Moz, a lot of people would pay attention, right? They, they'd sort of be like, oh, Rand is no longer at Moz, right? Because I've been there 17 years. There's a lot of association built up. And I, I wanted to capture and channel that attention. I didn't want it to be a negative thing. I wanted it to be a positive thing. So instead of, oh, poor Rand, I wonder what he's up to next, and maybe I'll reach out to him for a job or whatever, I wanted it to be... Let's take that attention and channel it into the next thing that I'm doing. So I wanted to have that next thing already set up. So yeah, I spent a lot of time talking to marketers and agencies and founders, you know, a lot of startup founders, and realized that this problem is near universal, and and it was getting worse and worse because more and more people were interested in how do I do marketing without just throwing dollars at Facebook and Google, and at the same time, right? I've been writing about these trends a lot. Facebook and Google, across all their platforms, have made organic content less and less visible. So you have this frustrating world where you're, the platforms have sort of used their monopolies to dominate attention and to force businesses who want to get in front of people 's eyeballs to pay them money. I mean Facebook's a perfect example of this. You know Facebook's uh, average engagement rate or average visibility per, per post was. You remember, like five, six years ago, it was like four percent, three percent. Today, it's zero point zero nine percent. One in one thousand people will barely see a post that you put on on the average, you know, uh, company Facebook page. It's just awful, and so. Yeah, people need other ways of getting at this data, right? P- ways to end around that duopoly, and that's that's what inspired me to to go after this. The, the okay. weird thing is, Louis, Casey and I didn't know if it would work. Like we ha- we did not know whether if you crawl all this data and then you put it together, will you be able to get you know enough quality profiles, uh, and will the data that that the the you know overlap shows. Will that be good enough? Will it be interesting? Will it be useful? It wasn't until probably January of 2019 when we had a, a tiny alpha version that we were okay. like, oh my God, it works, kind of.
0: So let's, let's think back of the timeline, and I don't want you to, to put you in trouble uh, with your past employer and all of that, so there might be details you can't share. <laughs> but surely you started talking to people about that problem before you left Moz, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So, and and so, I had a
1: conversation with the CEO at Moz, right? Okay. So, so she knew, you. yeah, okay. yeah she cool. knew like, okay, because, well, you know, once we had the conversation about, you know, when when do we want to have you leave, then it became a, okay, yeah.
0: So if you had to explain to someone listening right now how you're actually conducting, like conducted those, those I wouldn't call them necessarily interviews. I mean, it's up to you to yeah. describe them the way you want to, or conversations. What would you tell them? And again, this is why it's interesting because whether you're Rand Fishkin or someone who doesn't doesn't have a single follower, right? I think those, right. those principles apply, right? So, how did you approach that to discover whether there was a problem or whether there was just one company that said actually we struggled with that problem?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Louis, we my strong recommendation to anyone else is actually to follow follow this model, and I'm. Um, I'm I'm glad to say that I actually followed my own advice in this case, which was essentially, you know, built up some expertise around an area, right? So I've been doing web marketing obviously for a long time. Uh, I started doing more and more kind of brand marketing, outreach marketing, creative forms of marketing that were not just SEO, especially my last few years at at the company at Moz, and then took that expertise to build my network around this this field, right? So, talk to lots of marketers who did market research and outreach and, and brand marketing and social media marketing and content marketing, and then use that network to conduct mostly informal but a lot of interviews, right? So, literally sitting down with people at conferences and events, going to their agency offices, and talking to them and their teams about how they did this work. Uh, getting on the phone with people, getting on video calls, lots of emails back and forth, sometimes just informal Twitter DMs and LinkedIn DMs, right? But it was it was just a lot of like, hey, how are you doing? This I'm thinking about this problem, and from that, I I sort of built a, a an actual survey, right? So from the interviews, the the one on one interviews, I took all that, put together a survey, which we ran in um, I think it was the start of twenty. 18. So just just before I left Moz, ran that survey to maybe seven or eight hundred folks in the marketing world, maybe even more than that, might have been a thousand, and essentially asked them how they solve this problem. When you need to find what your customers pay attention to and where you can reach your audience that isn't just throw money at Google and Facebook, how do you go about doing that? Right. And how big of a problem is that for you? And what do you do it for? And that survey data came back pretty looking really good like looking like this was a serious problem that many marketers had that they spent a ton of time or money on and that's what excited us about the about the problem and so then when i you know when i launched kind of the company the next few months were assembling more data doing more of those interviews and then uh, that's how we did our fundraising in which closed in june
0: okay so let's 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 go back to the first step where you know I think to follow your recipe, uh some people would say, Oh yeah, like Rand has been at it for like almost 20 years. He has a huge network, it's easy to reach out to people. But I guess that's part of the recipe. I mean, yeah. you've worked your yeah. ass off for years and years and years to build a really, really, really big following. So I would say step zero of this recipe is you're gonna have to to have an audience who who trusts you somehow, even if it's a small one, so that you can reach out to them for those type of interviews. If you don't yeah, and I didn't use
1: my I didn't use my SEO network, right? Like Obviously, there's some crossover, but I, I had to, I have a non compete with Moz, right? So I couldn't build SEO
0: software. I had to
1: build something else.
0: Yep. That's no, that's a good point as well. So, and, and you just naturally re- reached people. And at this stage, you already, you already kind of had a, a, an idea of the problem we were, you were talking about. So instead of asking questions such as, what are the biggest problems you suffer from in, in your job or whatever, you kind of boil it down already to this problem. What do you think of this problem or how do you solve it? Show me how you do it right now. Because I, from user research, I know that sometimes folks would start with even the step before, which is, tell us the biggest problem you, so you, you suffer from, and then we'll build something on top of that. But you already had the problem.
1: Yeah, right? yeah. And part of that is personal interest, right? I had a problem that I had struggled to solve and I was interested in, and then I just wanted to validate, essentially, whether lots of other people have this problem. Right, and whether enough people have this problem and it's painful enough that people are willing to pay to solve it, assuming we could build a good solution.
0: So, what was, what were the? Would you say like the top three questions that were so helpful to you when you talk to people, and then when you did the survey? You mentioned a few, but I'm just interested in like specific sure. questions that you you got the most value Yeah. Of.
1: The, so the uh, the biggest one was definitely. Uh, how often do you have this problem, and uh, what? How do you solve it today? And then, what do you do once you have it solved? Like, how do you take that data and turn it into, you know, actionable things that you do with your marketing in your business? And and from those three, we were basically able to intuit that the sort of solving the data side was more important in the in the short term. Than solving the take the data and go tactically run with it. Right. There was enough people who had just the problem of how do I, how do I get this information? And then the, the diversity of answers on the what do I do with this data was so broad that we felt like, okay, software, software is not the right solution to, okay, now I have a list of podcasts and websites and social accounts to go after. What do I do with it next? That those answers were so broad that we were like, nope. We're, that's not what we're going right. to solve. We're going to solve the take this problem from, you know a lot of a lot of companies we talk to, bigger companies we talk to, bigger agencies. They were paying twenty five, fifty, dollars hundred thousand dollars to run large scale audience surveys, right, of thousands of people to try and get at this type of answer, which is ludicrous, just just crazy because self-reported data is crap anyway, right? If I ask you, hey, uh, tell me 500 people you follow on social. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Oh, okay, here you go. <laughs> well,
0: that's the typical example of, uh, of, yeah, don't ask people what they think or what they can remember and see how they actually behave, which is yes. what SparkToro does, which is following what people actually do, the, the accounts they follow, what they're talking about. It's very right. easy in surveys to make you feel good and make you feel smart and say, oh, I read e-consultancy reports every month. <laughs> Well, in fact, you're actually on Instagram looking at um, half-naked women or men or whatever, right? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know,
1: obviously, what we want to try and do is not look at, and, and this was part of the complexity of the software itself, not look at sort of accounts that are broadly popular. So, for example, on Twitter and on Facebook, almost everyone follows, like, some big political accounts in the U.S. Barack Obama, Donald Trump. So what, right? Not, not useful. What you, what you have to do is instead say, oh, people who describe themselves, whose, whose uh, job title includes interior designer, what do they uniquely follow that other people don't, right? So we, we sort of take the, here's what everyone follows, subtract that out of what interior designers follow. Now we can see what interior designers follow that's unique to that group.
0: So... Those questions, uh, how do you solve the problem right now, like walk us through it, that sounds like a very important question for you. And it sounds like you got the perfect answer, which is we suffer from this problem quite badly. We pay a shit ton of money to solve it. And the solution we are paying for is inadequate, very you know, labor-intensive, inaccurate, et cetera, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, for a lot of people, I will say the two the two frustrating answers that we got back that sort of led us to be... To to feel like this was going to be a challenge was one, a lot of people did not even try to solve the problem. Right. So a lot of people told us, like, I have this problem, I just ignore it. I just don't do that work because I I don't know, you know, how to how to go about solving it. So we were like, okay, this is gonna be a huge education hurdle. We're gonna have to teach people how to solve the problem. We're gonna have to inform them that they have the problem. And then the second frustrating one, which um It's just a, a linguistics problem. At least in English, people said, I have this problem, but I have no word or phrase to describe it. Right? No, no one said, oh, yes, you're talking about uh, sources of influence discovery, right? They, they don't have a word for it. Seven years ago, 10 years ago, sort of pre-Instagram, people would have called it influencer marketing. But then influencer marketing came to mean the half-naked people on Instagram thing. And so now this, this problem doesn't have a word or phrase. So we've been using audience intelligence, but that's our own
0: sort of creation. And how far along in the timeline did you actually decide on this name? I
1: would say that was
0: pretty darn early on.
1: It was okay. basically a let's, a let's choose a name for this where people say audience intelligence. That sounds like something I should need. And I want to learn about, but I don't know what it is.
0: And so you send this survey out to 800 people that further confirmed the fact that there was those two types of people, as you mentioned, like the problem that they were trying to solve already or the, the problem that they had, but they didn't even try to solve. And so, so then what, what happened? What did you do? How did you... So you had to take the leap, right? He, he, yeah. Was it the time yeah, then- when you left Mouse and...
1: Yeah, so then then it was a okay. We like this problem. We think there's some opportunity here. You know, I leave Moz and I start the Sparktoro site. Basically, I I gave myself almost twelve hours off and uh, started Sparktoro the day the day after I left Moz. So the first blog post, right? The blog post that I that I sent out to everyone in my network was my last day at Moz, my first day at Sparktoro, and that attract a lot of attention, which was great, and then got people sort of knowing, okay, Rand's not at Moz anymore, uh, and he's got this new company. And then the next three months were essentially pitching investors. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to make some progress, uh, raising some money before uh, Casey left his job. He was, he was still working at, at um, Ucla at the time, and this is my co-founder, mm-hmm. right? And Casey's the technical guy; like, he did all the software building, uh, so you know, huge, huge amount of reliance on him. I was very lucky in that I still had my severance pay from Moz. And I had a, you know, I had a nice severance pay. Basically, I got a year of severance, which is very generous. But, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, Moz is like a $55, $60 million a year company and Rand owns 20% of it. So he must be rich. Uh-uh, sorry. <laughs> Until or unless Moz sells, you know, our my net worth is, is very, very small. Don't believe what you know, if you start Googling Rand Fishkin, the first thing that comes up is net worth. Yes, and I wanted to say that. All of, those, all of those sites are wrong. <laughs> They're just terribly wrong.
0: You talked so. about it in your book, didn't you? I think you, you mentioned your salary yeah. or, or like you give an idea of it's not what you think. So thanks for being transparent with us and with me on this. I think that's why people follow you and, and like you so much. So so you left Mars and literally the day after you piggybacked. Like piggybacked in a sense of of this big news because you knew yeah. that people would would follow that, and you had at this at this stage a rough landing page if I'm remembering or like That's a, right. a, a rough website and yeah and an email, email. Of, yeah yeah there you go so you yeah, chose the to do that. why did you choose like... to do that why mm-hmm. why why did you feel like that was the right next step for you so you. Sorry, I'm asking a lot of questions, but I'm super no, no, curious fine. about it. So let me just try to, to recap a bit. So you you left Mars and you said I reached, I reached out to, to my network about this blog post I just wrote. How did you reach out? Did you do you have a newsletter or did you literally reach out one by one to your to your uh,
1: I, I cheated a little bit. I took all my contacts. I had about I think I had eight or nine thousand, and I used Gmail's, you know, five hundred per day BCC uh, to over the next four or five days send it out to all my old
0: contacts. school. So you did yeah. it really old school. You didn't use really old school mail merge, or okay. Yeah. And how did you? Obviously, when we say those eight thousand, nine thousand people, those are those are I would say your people, right? People who yeah. Who, you've met or you have strong relationship with or your answer feels Uh, like not so much, no? Not all of them. I would say,
1: I would say probably somewhere between a thousand and two thousand of them I have some relationship with. Some you know in-person relationship with. We've met at a conference or event or we've chatted online or that kind of thing. And then probably another, you know, the other five or six thousand, whatever, that group is more They've emailed me about some problem they've had in marketing world, right? We've had some contact, but it's probably primarily digital. Maybe they you know, reached out about some blog post I wrote over the last, whatever, 15 years or whatnot. So yeah, there were a lot of, lot of bounces in there. So I, w- I was able to like cull that list down to... So I sent them all in six days. So it must have culled down to only 3,000-ish emails. Basically, once I exported the contacts, merged them... Throughout the ones that didn't no longer resolved, yeah,
0: it's it's funny because I would have I would have thought you had way way more based on all the work you've been doing and whatever. But three thousand. Oh emails. well, sure. I mean, it. So
1: what I could rely on was those. You know, those contacts were like the closest, most well connected folks, and so by by emailing them, it worked out great. And then you know, even. Just sending a tweet, putting up a post on LinkedIn and putting up a post on Facebook, it reached thousands more people. I think the blog post had something close to 70,000 visits in the first week, right? So a lot of people knew about yeah. it. I mean, not a lot in terms of, you know, I'm not an influencer on <laughs> Instagram who has, like you know, a million followers who, who know about every swimsuit I put on. But I, in the marketing world, good enough.
0: Okay. But that feels, uh, I suspect that for people listening to you right now, it doesn't feel like this is a crazy number that they'll never They're be not. able to do and that they have to, to put 20 years to actually build a, a massive lease. So it's quite, it's actually quite humbling to hear you say that. And then I remember because I remember vividly, it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but like you know those, those world events where you remember where you were. I'm not going to say yeah. that I remember where I was when one Fishkin left Moz. That, that's <laughs> what I want to say, but I do remember I do remember when when I read the blog post because every a lot of my colleagues sent send it to me and say, "Oh shit, did you see this and um, and yeah, so I, I do remember this blog post, so what happened to this so you, you said seventy thousand visits in the first week, and you started collecting a lot of emails then, right yeah. so you had a So what happened next? What did you do next? What were your your next step?
1: Yeah. So as we were raising money, we were also building this this email list. And over the next, you know, essentially 18 months, I did one thing and Casey did another. So, you know, 90% of Casey's day was essentially building the product, validating that the technology could work, you know, figuring out how to crawl all these social networks and websites and connect up the profiles. Meanwhile, I was essentially like on the road and on the blog, trying to build up an audience for SparkToro. Right. My my goal was let's get marketers and people who would be interested in solving this problem over to SparkToro. And one of the ways that I did that was very, I, I almost want to say roundabout, right? So a lot of the a lot of the big content pieces that I put out and research that I did was about the problem of Google and Facebook's duopoly. In advertising and marketing world, and how they were sort of infringing on the ability of marketers to reach their audiences. And so, you know, the biggest blog post I think that I wrote was uh, half of Google searches now don't result in a in a click, right? That was that that made its way hugely around not just the web marketing world, but all sorts of different worlds that got cited by congress and you know uh when when google was testifying before congress it got a bunch of news stories around it right so those kinds of things where i'm essentially doing research and publishing research that is helping people understand that this problem exists and that they have to start thinking of other ways to reach their audiences that that was really my goal it is uh self-serving but in a in a way that is also, I hope, very helpful to marketers, right? Like legitimately helpful even if you never have anything to do with our product. Uh, and yeah, so over the over the course of those 18 months we attracted about 20,000 people who signed up for our email list and then when we you know when we got to uh, the beta period, I essentially went through, so of those 20,000, about, I think about 4,000 filled out an additional survey, right? So once you signed up for the email and we confirmed it, we then sent you a a survey that said like, hey, take this if you want to sort of jump the line. And the survey was eh, probably a 10-minute survey or so, asked a bunch of questions about your job and role. And I went through that list manually for our beta and looked for people who sort of, you know, a a diverse group of people who matched some people who were agency, some were independent consultants, some were in-house brand uh, managers and marketers, some who were founders. And then we we sort of took those four groups, emailed them and said, hey, do you want to be part of the beta? You know, here's your invitation to the beta. And we did three-ish groups of about 300, 400 people each in the fall of last year. And then those folks kind of helped us test the tool and get us to the
0: launch this spring. There's a lot to unpack here. The first thing is you've picked an enemy very early on. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. uh, An enemy. I really recommend, I can't recommend enough that startups have an enemy. It it could even be old way of doing things, right? It doesn't have to be like human being or organization, but just
0: an enemy. Yeah. And that's, I can see how fired up you are about this. This is, this is what happens, right? Passion arise. Like this is, I mean, not talking about the US politics too much. This is when, what happens when you pick a fucking exactly. enemy, right? Exactly. Outside. So you've done that very cautious, uh, uh, consciously, sorry, in a sense. And then you, you, you kind of revert it as well to what you do best, which is like this long form content, very thoughtful, very like research-based data for 18 months. I mean, 18 months. And what strikes me the most about your approach, all the way to the, Actual manual, very organic email you sent me a few weeks ago when I actually purchased SparkToro as part of my job is that you've been doing things very organically, very naturally, like those BCC, those, those looking through your beta list manually, those like everything seems very like, you know, organic. And I'd, I'd like to, to take a minute here to, to think about that. And if you're listening to this podcast episode right now, to think about that. And compare that to the approach that a lot of people are taking right now about like scraping the shit about LinkedIn and auto-emailing uh, you with fucking lead generation funnels and spamming, spamming the shit out of you. There is another way, right? And I'm picking an enemy here voluntarily. I'm fighting against those growth hackers who have no consideration for the people in their list or the people they are, they are reaching out to. Compare that to what you've done. And I think it's admirable to see that you keep this uh, philosophy and it's very effective clearly. So, that, just, uh, that was a small a party. But I want to go back to something you said, because I'm pretty sure some people would find it very interesting. You said you raised capital for this, right?
1: Yeah.
0: You raised capital with zero customers paying customers, correct? That's right, yeah. Very much
1: a seed round, you know, okay, speculative.
0: So How did you do it? So what was the approach? You used all the surveys you had sent like, to build a deck and to, to reach out to your connections. How did you approach it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is one of the things that we've been very transparent about. If you if you search for Sparktoro funding, you'll find our funding documents. You can find the Google Doc that I essentially you know used to pitch and, and raise money. But the process was very like like you pointed out, very organic and very simple, right? I essentially reached out to people from my network, many of whom, in fact, I think half of our investors had not invested in a company before. Right, so they were they were not investors. They they're just people in our network who basically, you know, a lot of agency owners, content marketing agencies, and marketing agencies, branding agencies, those types of folks. People who I had met through the SEO software entrepreneurship world, uh, people I had met through the Seattle tech scene, and um, locally, I think I think about twenty five percent of our investors are local to the Seattle area, and. Uh, it was 30, 36 angel investors, uh, and we, you know, essentially said, "Hey, we're going to raise money in this unique way. It's an LLC where we distribute profits, et cetera, et cetera." And I emailed folks and basically said, "Hey, you know, I you you might not know, but I you know I left Moz. I'm doing this new thing. I'm going to raise money for it. Well, we're going to use this unique structure. Would you be interested in chatting? Like, is that is that something you want to chat about?" And I will tell you, Louis, I had. I felt so nervous and um, I can imagine. Yeah. Asking, embarrassed asking
0: for money. Yeah. yeah. I can, I understand that. I understand. Like that.
1: I don't, I did not, I, I don't know. I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who like they, they're very shameless. Right. And I don't, I wish I had that quality. I don't have that quality. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, there were, there are a few people who I didn't email because I felt too embarrassed. And I'm thinking of one in particular who was really pissed at me afterward. He's like, why didn't you email me? I wanted to invest.
0: <laughs> so I wish I'd been a little more already. shameless. Okay, I would have sold my house and, and everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm only joking, obviously. I don't have a house. But the, <laughs> um, um, so what was the answer then? Because, okay, I, I, can, I, can, I can see that you're preparing those emails and pre- before pressing send. You felt, you know, felt weird about it. It's very odd to ask for money like that, and and yeah. whatever. What was the the answer? Like what happened?
1: Uh, so we had a very high success rate. I think I think I tried to estimate it. It was it was somewhere between seventy five percent and eighty percent of the people I reached out to said yes. Right. So part of that is because I have good targeting. Right. So I knew, you know, hey, here's a good example is um, Ian Lurie, who you know. Uh, personal friend, someone who I've admired and looked up to for a long time. Right, he had been in the in the web marketing field, and he sold his agency. I think the year before we raised money for SparkToro. So I, I was kind of like, okay, Ian, g- good bet, right? Good bet here. I, I'm going to reach out to him. Uh, Lisa Myers, right? She sold her agency to Omnicom. It's like great. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to her. You know, I I had some friends who had sold Urban Spoon a few years before, and I had helped them with SEO early on. I was like, those guys, you know, they're, they're great. I, I, I played Dungeons and Dragons with them. So I was like, okay, they're, they're going to invest, right? Cause they, they owe me. Um, uh, I had people in my network who basically I, you know, the, the founders or sorry, the, the CEOs of Zillow and Redfin, which are both Seattle based companies. They, you know, they both invest despite being competitors, which it's kind of, kind of, Awesome. Right. And so that was, that was really great. I, yeah, we had, we had a few people in our uh, network through SEO world, you know, that um, Mm -hmm. that came in and was a, it was a, it was a good process. There were even a few people who had reached out to me after I wrote that blog post, which I, you know, I didn't know this was going to happen, but I kind of hoped it where people reached out and said, Hey, what are you going to do next? I'd really love to be involved. Right. And so that, That works out. I I think one of the challenges is the advice for a lot of early entrepreneurs, right? And folks who are new to the field is unfortunately spend time building your expertise in your network, and this process becomes way easier. And that is not nearly as compelling a a tactical bit of advice as wait, what's the secret to getting in front of investors? Yep. The secret is
0: (laughs) the the secret is to scrape. LinkedIn for everyone who has an investor in the job title and, and reach out to them uh, for seven days in, in straight. But again, I think this is important to remember. And you have this mindset and you have this philosophy, like naturally, if you've been doing that for so long, it's just embedded in your DNA almost. But it needs to be repeated out loud. This, this approach really goes against what a lot of people and marketers and, and, and others are doing right now, which I truly believe is the wrong approach. This is short-term tactic. Like building a brand, like building a relationship, it just takes time. And exactly as you said, the success rate of your seed round is like 75%, 80%. That's because you have a brand and, and a trust at, attached to you that because you've been giving and giving and giving to, to your audience for so long that it's just naturally that they choose to give back. People who expect to take, 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 you know, before giving anything away, this is what happens. You, you, you will never really get... Anywhere close to seventy-five percent or eighty percent, you will probably never get anywhere close above zero percent at this stage. Yeah. So, but I think this is the in French they say the fil rouge, like the I, I don't remember the the English fucking fil rouge, fil rouge, like which the, is the the red, the, the thread, the, the ah. you know this is the thread of this conversation, and this yeah. is the thread yeah. of your work, which I admire for that. So, so then, so going back to the timeline, you. You rest the seat round. And by the way, like, do you have, actually, I didn't ask you this. Do you have, are you just the two of you still working on, on, on SparkToro full-time?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we, we intentionally, we knew we wanted to give ourselves a lot of runway and we wanted to have a very, very low cost structure so that, you know, because we didn't know, we didn't know whether this was going to be, you know, are we going to come out of the gate and sort of struggle to get to 5k MRR and then 10 and then 15, or are we going to come out of the gate and it's going to be, you know. 20K in month one. Uh, who knows, right? Um, and so because we didn't know, we wanted to be very cautious around that. So yeah, I uh, I didn't take a salary the first year, right? Because I had my ma's salary. And then Casey left his job after we got uh, funding or, or maybe right about when we got funding. And then we uh, kept it, just the two of us, we used some consultants and contractors on, you know, UX, uh, UI, um, some SaaS consultants to help us Company called Elevate, which helped us with analyzing all of our feedback data from the beta and uh, determining kind of when to launch and what other things we needed to do before we were ready for that launch. That's actually what what predicated us or what inspired us to um, do the redesign over December. And I think that that worked out really really well. You know, we we leaned on other people, but uh, we did not do full time hiring. And as a result, you know, we Casey and I were looking at it. We're sort of like, okay, we are whatever, three, two, I guess, two months in, basically. And we are more than halfway to profitability with, you know, with our existing small, relatively small customer base, 150-ish customers.
0: So we are, uh, we are recording this at the end of May 2020. Uh, can you share the, the, if you're not comfortable with it, that's cool, but get, what's sure. your rough MR right now?
1: Yeah, yeah, I can. So we use this tool called ProfitWell, which is very, very great. Uh, I like a lot, highly recommend. MRR overview says we are at 21,239.
0: Pretty nice. Yeah, monthly recurring revenue, which is like revenue, obviously not profit. And you say you are halfway through profitability, meaning that you'll be profitable once you have 40,000 MRR. That's
1: exactly right, yeah.
0: And 150 customers. So that's like, I'm not going to do the math properly, but it's like what? What's the uh, average? Yeah,
1: customers. Oh, so, sorry. Oh, average revenue per user?
0: Yeah, average revenue It's per right class. around,
1: yeah, it's right around 150, 170. 150,
0: nice. Yeah. So yeah, very, very strong numbers. And, and if you keep growing at, at that rate, yeah, you should reach profitability with a two-person two, uh, two team, a seed round, and what, 17 years of, uh, or, or, and more of, of work in the back of that. That's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. Are you happy? Right, right. Are you grateful? Do you feel... I mean, known? I think... Are you not embarrassed anymore? I, I think I am... I'm extremely
1: grateful to... for so many people's support through this process and, and grateful that we built the business the way we did. I think what... You know, the one thing that is very frustrating, obviously, is our launch timing just yeah. sucks, man. I mean... Uh, I'll tell you, so, Louis, you know, I have these early access emails. So at the end of February, we start sending our early access emails, right, to the twenty thousand people who signed up. and we're we're basically going through that list, you know, every week or two, we're sending uh, two, three thousand of those. and as the as the pandemic is getting worse, and the economic situation in the United states and and in Europe and all these places is falling off a cliff, more and more of the emails that I send are coming back with so-and-so no longer works here, right? So I'm just seeing like this carnage in the marketing world, just destruction of so many jobs coming back to my inbox. Yeah, every time we're sending those emails, that's heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. And then, of course, we're talking to a lot of people who, yeah, had been early customers or beta customers or, or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you know, I, I wish I could sign up, but finance pulled my credit card. I'm not allowed to do any new spending until 2021. You know, we're cutting all of our costs. We we no longer, you know, our customers are gone. Brutal, just brutal. I, I mean, the U.S. Um, economic picture is down 25, 30 percent. Just GDP, you know, evaporated, and and the outlook for the next six months is pretty brutal. And it could be much longer than that, right? I think most economists are looking at 24, 36 months recovery minimum. So. You know, we, we're lucky in that we're doing well despite that, right? We're able to find customers. But our customers, I mean, if, if you look at our customers, they're, they're kind of the people who are doing okay through the pandemic, people who are still growing, right? A lot of, we've actually had a surprising number of consumer products on the like toys and games and entertainment side, uh, which makes sense, right? Because there's a lot of demand for that. Had folks on uh, food and grocery recipes, that kind of stuff Make, makes total sense. We've had almost no one from travel and hospitality. We've had a lot of people from uh, healthcare and medicine, right? So you you get the sense of like, aha, this you know these are the few industries that still have growth and opportunity, and so of course there's folks looking for them. If it was six months ago, you know, SparkToro would probably be much more popular, and you can see that in the data. The February, the end of February uh, sign-up rate to paid was. 5% it's now about 0.5%. right so just and you know there's nothing changed it's just the economic situation changed.
0: yeah i'm i'm, I'm glad you're sharing this as well i mean uh, in, in total transparency as as, as always um yeah because you've really launched that i don't think you could launch at a worse time oh, but God. i guess i guess that's what it that's what it takes i guess this is the the reality of it and the you've built um I'm going to forget the word again I'm very good today uh, but you've built this this kind of uh, strength should so I say like mental strength over the years to to be able to to um to protect yourself mentally at least against that and and I guess you sharing these stories is also a way to do that I, I'm sure that people listening to this podcast will reach out will check out your tool and will uh, some of them hopefully will will start paying you as well so you can become f- profitable I'm conscious <laughs> of the time we have 1 minute left but yeah I want you to to to, to thank you again for for, all of the, for this candid conversation and sharing all of that, I hope my personal hope is that people will, will, will understand that um, there is another way than just uh, doing it uh, automated way and expecting that in two weeks time you'll have built an audience and, a tr- and trust um, to get the result you got. And the last thing I wanted you to say is that actually the first interview I've done post shit COVID is happening. So I've yeah. stopped doing it for two months because I just literally couldn't. And I, every topic I was getting from from potential guests was how to do marketing in a crisis, how to do marketing in a crisis. And I didn't want to cover that, not because I, I didn't want to help people, but I felt it was just too much. And instead I spent time talking to marketers one-on-one and, and, and trying to help them out, which I, which I thought was a much better use of my time. But I love that. anyway, uh, Rand, thanks so much for your time. Uh, SparkToro.com is, the, is, the, is the, the place to go read uh, to read your posts and check out the tool. You have 10 free searches, right? For any accounts. That's Uh, right. I've personally found a lot of value out of it already. So thank you.
1: I'm thrilled to hear it. Louis, thank you so much for having me.
0: You're very welcome.